Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I've had it happen in a long-term relationship and they where they you. literally ghosted me as I was moving, not country, well, yeah, moving um, to one of the Channel Islands for them. And they literally just ghosted, just didn't turn up at the airport. Wait oh a minute. Yeah, God. I know. How you were, bad. You moved country for I someone. I moved country for someone. And they didn't pick you up at the airport. And they just, they ghosted, ghosted, I love that term. They just didn't text back two days before I caught my flight. I'd been with them for four and a half years. What? I'm your host, Natalie Drenovac, and this is The Modern Women, a show that seeks to share the stories and experiences of women that may be out of our line of sight. Due to popular demand, I'm throwing in a second anonymous episode this season. And as usual, its aim is to give a variety of women their own platform. As I've mentioned in my previous anonymous episodes, it often seems like the only people who are ever interviewed or given a platform to express an opinion or point of view are those with some sort of status, whether it be through followers, media presence, or being a celebrity. It continues to make me wonder that perhaps the common voice we're hearing is getting skewed and whether these are the only voices and opinions that we should be hearing. As we've seen, the Anonymous series has conjured up a range of powerful and deep conversations with what I'll in inverted commas say, uh, you know, everyday women, but we cover off themes and issues that impact us all, more or less. As this series evolves, the continuing purpose of the anonymity is to enable open discussions because sometimes opinions don't always need a face. For today's episode, we explore connections. Most of us would agree that the quality of our relationships determine the quality of our lives, and I really wanted to discuss the integral aspects of that. The making of connections, be it with your friendships, your relationships, or your family, that feeling of not being connected or ostracized, and the psychological harms associated with that, and one that as individuals in society, we don't talk about enough, death. Sounds heavy, it is in some parts, but throughout this episode, my guests provide and share some raw and humorous stories that I am sure will have you laughing. Thank you both so much for being here tonight. Let's kick off with Rapid Fire. Favorite meal to eat when alone, sad, and watching Netflix? Beans and cheese on toast. Ooh. Mm. Uh, sad? I guess any kind of hot carb. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Which celebrity do you always wi- do you always want a hall pass with? Bradley Cooper. 
Keanu Reeves, anytime, any occasion, anywhere. But if I can have one more, I'll also take Lee Pace. Yeah, I have a Zac Efron thing that okay. Lisa doesn't mm. love, but, you know, we roll with it. Uh, most stupid thing you did or believed as a child? I had a, a wannabe stick insect business that failed before it hit the ground. Oh, that's very entrepreneurial. Mm. I mean, unfortunately for me, we don't have to go back that far. Once upon a time, I used to think, I'm, I'm geographically challenged, and I used to think that Wollongong was somewhere up north and Penrith was somewhere else. I still don't know where they are. I thought that for way too long, way too long. Which sport or gym workout have you sucked at the most? Anything dancing. Yeah, anything cardio, like endurance cardio. (laughs) Okay. All right. So let's get a bit of an intro into your age. When I say work role, it can kind of just be a bit of an idea just to get a bit of your flavor. Um, Ethnicity and if you're married or if you have kids. 29, single, pharmaceutical sales. Any children? None that I know of. That would be weird. See, when men say that, that makes sense. No children. Okay. Uh, 32, single, HR. There we go. Mm. All right, no children either that you know of? One for a child, that's it. Oh, yes, the cat. Let's not talk about that. All right, so tonight with this anonymous episode, I want to explore the positive, negative and other consequences and, you know, perhaps feelings of gaining, maintaining and losing connections. Um, Human connection brings complex value to our lives. Relationships give us a sense of belonging in the group, a sense of identity in contrast to others in that group, an almost therapeutic, perhaps support system, and a reason to not feel lonely. It's no wonder that being excluded or losing these connections can lead to such serious psychological impact. We're hardwired to want connection and to go after it. So I'd love to know, do you find it hard as adults to make new connections? Good, decent connections, yes. Yeah. And why is that though? Like what do you find challenging about it? I think I think the modern day society of just we don't go out and speak to people now. Like if you look around, everyone's buried in their phone. I'm buried in my phone. Just the ability to connect naturally doesn't seem to happen that much anymore. Yeah, I agree. And also... It's not that I have a problem with being open with people, but it's hard to meet people who are as open with me as I am with them. And it's really hard to feel connected with somebody when you feel like you're being very open and they're not. And so you just feel like, oh, is this... So you're saying that your challenge with connection sometimes is also about trust? It's about trust, but also it's sort of like connection is just... It's a, it's a two-way thing. So, And I'm not the kind of person who has a large group of friends. I would rather have a small intimate group of friends that I know very well who I can just be completely open with and I know that they can come to me with any sort of issue and they know that I'll never judge them. I would rather invest in those relationships and I cannot be bothered if I feel like someone feels like they can't tell me something or feel fears that they're going to be judged or don't who don't want to be as open with me, that's fine, but it's just not something that I want to invest in. I'm tired. I'm, I'm, I'm getting old. See, I find that really interesting because as I've gotten older and as I've become more uh, assured of who I am, I've actually met some amazing 
new women in my life to be particular to meeting new women and friendships. Whereas if I were to look back and you look at situational relationships and friendships like in high school, yeah. like was it easier slash better to be lumped into an environment that you had to make friends as opposed to now and how we function? So it was definitely easier, but now it's, I, I read something the other day and it's being like socially selective. So now because you don't have to be friends with colleagues or, you know, people who um, are in the same community could like could be like gym wise, yoga wise, whatever, then you can kind of pick and choose friends. If that makes sense, you can be more selective. Whereas at school, it's like, nah, they're in my class. They're all right. I get on with them, whatever. Yeah. And when you're younger, it's like that's your whole life. Yeah. You look around in high school that's sort of your whole life and especially before social media the world seemed that much smaller but I guess now as you're sort of um you're an adult you have your own life there's social media and you realize there are all these amazing people out there um and you sort of understand what you want in life friends included um I, I guess I have a better understanding of the people that I get along with and who I want in my life as opposed to people who I just sort of have ended up with, like, for example, in high school. Mm. See, I have a friend who recently – I have a couple of friends. I'd say three of the, you know, 12 close girlfriends I had in high school. And when we re-caught up after 10 years, it was so easy, simple, and I just trusted her and it makes me look back and think, well, isn't that kind of funny how back when you're, you know, between, I don't know, 13 and 18, you form and you're shaped into this person, which is still somewhat true today yeah. as to who you are, like, ingrained. And I just found that quite interesting. Whereas, yeah. like, And I said, to, I shared this with um, Lisa that I so easily trust her, whereas is it now that as you get older, you're just so much more aware of manipulation? Do you think so? Like, do you think you're more aware or is it that you're more self-aware so you're more judgmental? I don't know. I mean, kids can be quite manipulative, I think. Well, that's what she said. Lisa's like, nah, I think it's completely the opposite for her. Yeah, I don't know. That's such a good question. And likewise, I have friends who I'm, some of my closest friends are still, like I met in school and I'm still close with them now. And I go back, when I go back home to the UK, they're still there and it's amazing. But, that's a really good question because kids are manipulative, especially nowadays when they have like can hide behind keyboards and such. Oh, yeah. I think social media w- provides a totally different world. I'm very much uh, glad that I grew up when I did as you opposed did, to yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like Same. the pressures would be insane. Yeah. But I do think we are more or I'm definitely more self-aware now. And I can like if, if I just have no like I just don't care now if I'm like, do you know what? You've been a bit of a dick or um you know you're just not my cup of tea I just have no shame at all in being like do you know what I'm sure you're a lovely person but you're just not my jam and I don't have any um like faults in being like no I don't want to hang out with you whereas before definitely in school you kind of had to because they were Mm -hmm. part of the friendship group or for whatever reason so something I was interested in asking you is obviously for those who can't tell by her accent uh, you're not from Australia did you find um, moving to Australia that you, know, you live in the eastern suburbs on mm. Bondi Beach? Uh, is it more clicky as to, as opposed to where you were in regards to like meeting people? Yeah, I'd say I'd say definitely because not only around Bondi in the eastern suburbs, there's not many Australians there or Australians who are born and bred in the eastern suburbs as such, and so everyone kind of sticks in their little little bubbles and the Brits stick in their bubbles and the backpackers and everyone kind of sticks in in their bubble but I would say it was very difficult to make good solid connections 
as opposed to just the ones that you grow up with. And you moved to Australia at how old? Six. Yeah. So do you both find it also hard to maintain your friendships with those who are from your home? No. No, not at all. And I can go months without speaking to them, like really good close friends. I can go weeks, months without speaking to him. And when I do, it's exactly the same. Yeah, but as in you, you, you don't maintain the relationship whilst you're away. How do you mean? Well, so for example, when I travel, yeah. I know that I don't maintain all of my friendships in the same way. Got you. As a, you know, so the good it, ones stay. Yeah, the good ones stay. Yeah. And then the ones who you might just occasionally see on nights out or, you know, randomly catch up with for coffees and stuff. They just, they, they kind of fizzle, fizzle away. Yeah. But that's why social media is good in a sense. You can kind of keep up with what everyone's doing. But the solid friendship group um, has always remained for me. Okay. So moving on to a bit of dating. Do you feel more connected when you're dating? As opposed to... Well, so for example, I have or have experienced many friendships uh, where they are pining for a relationship. And I was curious when I was putting this episode together, the idea that do we want to um, feel more connected in terms of that's why we're seeking out that kind of intimate relationship? Or are you less inclined to seek out such a relationship if you are more connected to really solid friendships? Yeah, I mean, I certainly have friends where they want a relationship because it is another way of connecting with people, um, like, you know, connecting romantically, and that's something that they want in their lives. Um, yeah. I'm um, of the latter. Like, dating someone or being with someone doesn't make me any more connect, feel any more connected than just how I am. And both of you being single right now, is there any part of you where you're like, you know what, I would like to meet someone to share my life with or are you actually in a place where you're a bit ambivalent about it? I have this blind belief that I will just be all right. Like I don't, I'm not on any dating apps. Not that they're bad, but I just, they're not my thing at the moment. And I just, I have this, I have so many friends being like, why aren't you dating? You should, you should be actively seeking it out. And I'm like, I'm so content. <laughs> with myself that it just it's not something that I feel I have to kind of go out and and chase and like you said if you have friends who you can see that's that they're doing that and that's happening it kind of makes you more aware to to not do that where it's not working out where it's yeah where it's you know they constantly need to be dating someone and I'm like you do have you just you know you should just try have like a month by yourself and they're like god no I can't think of anything worse I'm like that's my dream <laughs> like just a month by myself is my dream <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I agree with I mean like I'm on dating apps, but I'm not very like I'm not on a mission. I'm very open, but I don't even particularly have this thing in my mind where it's like I want a committed relationship, monogamous relationship, like I'm just very open to meeting people and seeing where it goes. Um and I think that's because, and the reason why I don't really care whether I'm single or whether I'm seeing someone or whatever it is, is because I'm very acutely aware that there are many people who are in committed relationships who still feel terribly lonely yeah. and don't have a particularly meaningful connection with their partner. And I think that would break my heart more than having a great life single and being happy with myself and having really meaningful relationships outside of that context. Do you ever feel judged? Like we, I find that we get to this point in our lives 
And everyone's kind of like, why don't you have a partner? As if it's this glorified object that happens. As if there's something wrong all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it used to bother me. It doesn't now. It really doesn't now, but it used to. And it happens all of the time. Work scenarios or, um, yeah, friends who don't know me that well will be like, why? Why are you, why are you still single? As if there's something wrong with me. <laughs> Do you have that happen to you? Are you asking as a 30-something-year-old single person that has a cat if I get judgment? No, that would never ha- – why would anyone judge me for that? Yes, <laughs> all the time. But do you care? Do you care about the judgment? No, I don't because – well, because of what I was talking about earlier. It's like I know that a relationship is not the end goal. It's not a guarantee of a ha- – it's not I – can, I can only be happy if I'm in a relationship or I can only be happy if I – get married and have two kids by the time I'm X age. It's like, I know that's not a magic formula. Um, I'm not even really sure if marriage and kids are things that I definitely want in my life. Um, And I don't really, I mean, people say, oh, you know, you should probably get a move on. I'm like, but why? But is that come back to the biological clock thing for women? Yeah, I think it does. And they're like, well, don't you think that maybe you will one day? And I'm like, maybe I will. Maybe I won't. Right now, I sort of am leaning more towards maybe I won't. Every time someone asks me if Lisa and I are going to have children and then they're like, maybe you'll change your mind. And I was like, what if I started saying that to people who want kids? Yeah. Yeah, right. You know, and they're like. stealing that. Yeah. And they're like, oh, uh, well, no, I think it would be the opposite. And you would would more lean into wanting them. And I was like, "But, but what if you think you want them? Yeah. And you were like, oh, actually, maybe I don't. Maybe they're not the greatest thing. And like, that's not to say I, I love children, but it's just these things that we throw around in society that I think is so f- fucking hilarious that it's like, who are you to place your judgment on someone else? You know what's like really mind boggling is when you get those sort of questions and concern from people who you know are in really unhappy relationships. Yeah. Also, it comes from a place of on a pedestal. No, I mean, like, I'm just confused as to why you would, why you're so eager for me and you're so concerned that I'm not in a relationship or I'm not married or I don't have kids when, yeah, you are in a relationship and you might even have kids, but I know you're very unhappy. So you surely know that that is not... Projection, I think, is what that's called. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so do you think um, women are more in need to connect, to have greater depth of connection with friends or do you think guys are? Oh, I think generally women seem to have a deeper connection, but I actually think that males are the ones who need it the most. Why is that? Just because societally wise, they have, I think, always been brought around to be like the breadwinners and the go-getters and, you know, everything's fine, everything's all right. And like when we look at kind of uh, mental health rates, suicide rates, things, it's always the men who are higher. So I think we, we all, male or female, deserve equal connection outright but it always seems to be the males who are kind of lacking in that at the moment i had a conversation recently with a friend of mine who is a i would say astute and quite not to use the word woke uh but you know he's a young man but he you can have a great solid conversation with him and we were talking about his friendship groups and he actually said yeah he has wonderful friends and then i was like but do you ever have those um in-depth in not indulgent but great conversations or share vulnerabilities and he's like no he's like there is not a chance that we would sit around talking about that kind of stuff and i said why and he's like 
because there are so many layers of I don't want to appear weak or worried. Yeah. And then he's the one who also mentioned, he's like, but then you look at suicide rates and you think, why are we not, why are we stopping ourselves? Yeah, I have I have quite a few guy friends and they'll always say to me, they'll be like, do you know, I don't have a friend who I can open up with as much as you. And I'm like, why? And they're like, because you're a chick. I'm like, well, that doesn't make, you know, that doesn't make any difference. But there are certain things that they would say to me or tell me that they wouldn't tell their, their male counterparts, which blows my mind. But I think at, at the moment, as the world stands, the guys are the ones who need the deeper connections. But I think women, maybe they find it easier, but it's, you know, it's something that's more um, common to do, I would say. What do you make of those who say that men and women can't be legitimate friends because there's always a possi- possibility of a sexual element to it? You know, I don't believe that. But having said that, I don't really have a lot of male friends. See, I said, as I was crafting this out, I was like, oh, I have lots of male friends. And then I was also like, I'm also gay and I'm married. So yeah. like, <laughs> I actually find that I can have great relationships with men because there's almost like a, it's not the fact that I'm not attracted to men. That's the funny thing. It's that they immediately are like, oh, I don't need to uh, show a certain side of myself of bravado because I will have no desire nor interest in, in uh, indulging it. Yeah. Does that ever happen to you? Because I know you have some solid, great male yeah, friendships. Yeah, never to me in terms of like, I never look at them one day and think, do you know what? I'd quite like to sleep with you. Like that doesn't happen. But a lot of the time it will be a question asked from the outside, especially if they are um, good looking, single, that kind of stuff. I'm like, no, like they're like my brother. Why would I, you know, and that's kind of going back to the dating app things. I don't have anything against them, but I would just fear swiping yes to someone who I think looks really attractive and could be a massive dick. likewise swiping very real no. possibility yeah or swiping no to someone who might be the nicest person ever and and having someone do that to me but back to your first question I think that um a lot of the time people from the outside be like well surely something's gone on and I'm like nope never well have you slept in a bed with him I'm like yeah all the time when we're drunk but like fully clothed never touched him kind of thing uh <laughs> So, okay, <laughs> I was like, we won't go off track here. Um, okay, do we keep connections, relationships or friends, not because they're good, but because we don't want to lose someone? Like, have you ever kept a friendship for too long? Yes, for ha- out of habit and I think to try and be a nice person, a yes person. And what did you learn from yeah. keeping them for too long? That it just, it's it's not it's not valuable. It's not adding anything. I I truly believe that friendships, like I look at some of my uh, really close friendships growing up and even though some of them might not be a close friendship now, I respect that friendship so much and to drag it out because you feel like you have to, like if you're going for a coffee with someone and if you're not like, I cannot wait to see them and catch up, then you shouldn't be seeing them. And likewise, I would hate for someone to meet me if it was meet me for a coffee, if they really couldn't be bothered. But they were they just had to because they felt like we've been friends for so long they owed me it. If that makes sense? Yeah. And also like I just I just don't wanna invest the time even if I had the time. Like I just can't be bothered anymore. But have you and done that? Have you kept friendships for too long? Yeah, probably more when I was younger. Yeah. So I probably did it when I was at I'd say maybe when I was in uni. And then I started realizing that, yeah, I actually don't want to go out of my way and spend time and have this person thinking that we're friends when really I'm starting to feel like well 
well, in my case, it was they could be a little bit condescending, a bit patronizing, um, but in a way that sort of made me think, oh, did I hear that right? Like, is this, you know, but then I think, oh, well, generally they're a nice person. And then you get to the point where you're like, I just can't be bothered anymore. Like, this is not. If you could look back um, 10 years ago of who you are and you could go, there was a quality I looked for then and then the difference now would be, what would be that biggest change for you? Oh, man. I think Or just one that really matters to you now. Yeah. I think just authenticity. Yeah. Just people being them absolute selves and not like, trying to fit in into whatever outside world's being pushed upon us. I totally agree with that because I really admire people who are very just sincerely just themselves. Yeah. Um, and I think when I meet people and I get to know them and I think, wow, they, they're really afraid. They're very hyper aware of what other people think of them. It's just exhausting. Yeah, I, genu I genuinely find that there's something lovely about actually not being friends with someone because they're 100% themselves and you respect that and they're just not your vibe, then them presenting themselves as someone to you who is, you know, seven shades of not that real human yeah, and then you have to kind of that. navigate that relationship. I would say that the main one of the main qualities I really respect now is also integrity in a person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I find that's become something as I've gotten older that started to matter. I mean, then you could say loyalty and all the rest of it, but I find loyalty can be sometimes just like a real nice catchy buzzword when yeah, it comes to friendships. Yeah, it's like what does it actually what does it actually mean? It's yeah. like it's a good thing to throw around but actually what does loyalty and a friendship mean? Yeah. Always oh, got your back and then like no, it just sounds so dumb sometimes. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I want to talk about ostracism because it's the opposite of human connection. It involves feelings of being an outcast, loss of connection, social exclusion and can have deep and serious psychological consequences for all of us. And often, sometimes you never quite heal if you go through an experience like that. Um, a mountain of research in social psychology has explored the negative impacts of ostracism on individuals. For instance, with less than five minutes of exposure to ostracism, individuals report lower satisfaction levels of four fundamental needs, belonging, self-esteem, control, and meaningful existence, and higher levels of sadness and anger, all at the same time. Research also shows that the same region of the brain that detects physical pain is similarly activated when someone experiences an instance of ostracism. It's kind of profound. And I kind of found it quite funny when I read it because what kind of study do you have to go through to get these kind of results? Yeah. Right. How, how? right? <laughs> like to lay out the facts of what has happened and then you think, oh my God, what did they prosecute people to go through <laughs> to learn that? But in light of this, I'm keen to understand your different experiences and how it might have shaped you and how um, much staying connected means to you in regards to like, have you ever gone through that experience of being ostracized? I'd say yes, but some of it's been self-inflicted. In what oh. sense? In the sense of like, um, I, I don't know, if you're having a doubt, you just don't want to see people, you tend to ostracize yourself. Yeah, but would you say that's ostracism? Because I think that's kind of like, I think ostracism is more the idea that you are purposefully not invited to something or yeah. not included in things. And I can recall back in high school, for example, uh, there was perhaps a person who, if she wasn't getting along with you, then the rest of the group also wasn't getting along with you. And it would be such a painful 
experience until she just was happy with you again and then everyone else was yeah and it's just kind of bitchy yeah that that reminds me of a time in uni actually when that's happened when everyone was going on a girl's holiday and um i think i was busy i so i couldn't go and then i could go and i remember overhearing one of the girls being like oh i really hope she doesn't come so what did that make you feel like oh uh like shrinking down and then how did you how did you navigate that? Well, I experience? didn't go because I was like, well, I can't go and possibly ruin someone else's holiday. They don't want me there. Right. Yeah. So you took it upon yourself to actually think, oh, they don't want me around. So therefore I won't go. Yeah. And then, and then you had to deal with all those experiences. Yeah. And I remember telling the other girls after like a couple years later being like, oh, I heard so-and-so say this. And uh, they were like, what? That's crazy. You should have come. Like, don't listen to her. No one's friends with her anymore. Whatever, you know. And have you experienced that? Unfortunately, no. And I think that when I first came to Australia and I was six and I didn't speak a lick of English, I was really... You must have been like some form Petrified. Of when you... So you arrived, you didn't speak English. Mm-mm. Yeah, so I'm sure there was at some point some aspect of bullying there that happened. No. And that I look back and I just think I must have just been so lucky yeah absolutely lucky because people were curious and more curious and I think I had like a small group of girls who really just immediately decided to delegate themselves as my buddy group Mm. and took me around with them everywhere so I was very lucky because I was petrified I couldn't communicate with anybody and so I just sort of followed these girls around have you ever ostracized someone? Ah, oh, not to my knowledge. I hope not. What would you do if you found out someone said, like if someone one day was like, you know what, in high school, you did you did the same thing, similar experience, and it has made me feel blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that would be heartbreaking. I would hate to think that I've ever done anything yeah. like that to exclude someone. See, I often also think back sometimes and I, I don't think I was never a bully. No, never. But I love that I'm confirming that for myself. Just so, just so everyone's clear, it's not that. But like you know, you look back sometimes on things you did, you have done as you've gotten older, and then you think like, what was I thinking? Oh, I know. You know, and you almost want to just apologize, and then you feel like an idiot for for being like that. Would be so embarrassing to apologize. But I just find as I've gotten older, and especially as I do this kind of work, I just think sometimes like, wow, you were probably a real dick, or you probably just made such an assumption about something and, you know, and it just makes you really think about the power of your words and the impact you can have on other people. Yeah, but I think there's this life experience. Like when you think back to high school, as a group, we did not navigate social interactions or, you know, have enough emotional... We're just like undercooked prawns. We don't... We were just hopeless. What we probably like just did not group? have just interacting with people generally and, um, you know, being more attuned to people's emotional needs or having a bit of sensitivity around how you how you say things or how you word things. Just yeah. Immature idiots. I don't want to make it into a stereotypical thing, but I just look and I, I went to a private girls high school and I think I have so many examples where I saw poor behavior. You saw it or you... you no, I, I, would, I would hope, I really hand on heart would hope that I never, ever did anything like that. It certainly happened to me within my, um, you know, uh, school group. Yeah. But, I, you know, you just, I just saw bad behavior and I just... And I remember, like, I was always friends with, like, 
the the person who was outside of the group and everyone would be like, why are you friends with that person? And I was like, because they're cool. Yeah, I see. I got that a lot. I got that. I was friends with like I had – I was in loads of different little groups at school and I had people be like, why are you friends with her or him or like what? And I'm like, they're cool. Like leave them alone. Like they're fine. And I didn't like the clickiness that you could get caught up in in school. And I quite liked that I floated between all of the groups. But also like when you look at today's – like. I would bet that when you meet new people, like there's a feeling we get when we size people up and I don't know what that is and I don't know why we do it. And it just baffles me. Like, for example, when I lived in New York, I had a friend of mine and um, every time we met new people, I mean, it was such an American thing to do. And he'd be like, hey, great name, etc. What do you do? And I said to him, when we go out from now on, you are not allowed to ask anyone what they do. And you have to just learn about them and who they are. And he said it changed his uh, the way in which he was interacting with people because he stopped putting them in a bucket of whether or not they were on that social hierarchical ladder. 100%. I went to a, I did a, a Vedic meditation weekend oh, maybe a couple months ago. And like one of the rules straight out, right? It's like, hey, you're going to meet everyone. Listen, like let's leave work outside of the scenario. And you, you come to find out late down the line, there's like some of these amazing entrepreneurs or whatever, but you don't care about that because at the time it's just, you're just seeing people for people. And it was incredible. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I so agree. I just, I think that you realize the more people you meet that a job really doesn't define you. And when I hear people say like, oh, you know, for example, IT, oh, you know, he works in IT, but he's actually really gregarious and hyper-social. And I'm like, yeah, because there's the humans, there's a broad spectrum, no matter what, what job group you know, yeah. what what sort of occupation you have. Um, yeah. But it does but become a status symbol. What does? For people, like that's how people size each other up. They're like, oh, and I... Oh, gen- yeah. And, and you, you see people totally kiss ass to, the, to someone that they believe is above them for no fucking reason. Yeah. And people who are very proud and kind of hide behind their stamp of importance and like it'll be within the first couple sentences they say when they meet people or name drop or this drop or whatever drop and it's like, no one cares. Yeah, totally. Honestly, when you meet someone and the most interesting thing that they can think of to talk about themselves is like in the context of what they do for a living, like their job, it's sort of like, oh God, you're really uninteresting. Okay, so... um. When do you feel most connected? Is it in group chats? Is it face-to-face? Is it perhaps when you're partaking in any physical activity? Like when in life do you both generally find that you feel really connected to others or yourself? 100% face-to-face or in person rather than on uh, phone. Yeah, 100%. Well, see, I have a problem because everyone hates like picking up the phone anymore, but I love calling people. And now that we have FaceTime, I love doing a face-to-face with people. Oh, no. Yes. No, no. I, I I hate phone calls as well. And it's because I like to like, communicating is so much more about just the verbal communication. It's about reading someone's body language and like where they look when they say certain things and all the, all, all of that. And also I zone out really quickly, I, I must admit. So when I'm not making eye contact with someone or when we're not face to face, I do sort of zone out. I think communication definitely is just vocal or like just words text whatever but connection 100 percent in in person yeah yeah um do you think social media has enabled connections or feelings of connectedness and therefore improved our well-being 
think it's a double-edged sword. Okay. Yeah, I think it, in one hand, like we met over social media, I think on one hand it can I be... slid into your DMs. <laughs> you did. I think in one, probably over, I don't know what it was over. Food. Food. <laughs> Um, I think it can be incredible. It really, really can be. And in terms of keeping those connections you already have, I know what my family's up to on the other side of the world, but I also think that it can be extremely isolating. Yeah. And I think it's just sort of really thinking and having a bit of self-awareness around why you're on social media and how you're using it. And there are people who are like, you know, for Instagram, for example, who, um, you know, really care about how many followers they have or how many likes they get and sort of like, why are you there? Like, what are you, what are you using it for? Whereas some people might be on it really just to share pictures with a group of friends and that's really what they want to do. But you know how like people say, oh, millennials, they're like really into social media and whatever. And I was reading an article the other day that said 25% of millennials are horrendously lonely they they don't they feel like they cannot they don't have a single friend is basically what this article yeah, is saying I and I'm saw, like how is this possible there's some study that was done it was in America and it was like recently um if you had like how many people do you have that you could call on if it was something serious and the majority of people said nobody That's, really yeah whereas like 50 years ago it was like five or whatever it is it's in it's in the um in the book Wow. Yeah, it's mad. And it's just mad. Can you imagine not like not being able to identify a single friend? Not even like a not even like a oh, I'm so so I'm so close to this person that I might even call them a sister or a brother, but just a friend. I'm like 25%. That is That's so abysmal. Awful. Wow. I feel like we're all having a real moment where we're like letting that sink in. <laughs> Yeah, it, it really does make you grateful, like especially as I've gotten older and then you realize when you have solid friendships, you're like, wow. Yeah. Like, the impact that they're having in my life and I hope will continue is is quite an immense and um, appreciative thing. 100%. All right. So moving on from friendships a tiny bit, just with dating and ghosting, um, we kind of laugh, but it's terrible. Ghosting, I think, is genuinely horrible and a form of ostracism that we don't consider. But have you experienced that? It's ghosting when they like don't text you. They back just disappear. Kind of uh-huh. Yeah, because it is a form of ostracism. It's yeah. me eliminating you and no longer inviting you into an interaction when someone has been so giving. It happened to me once in a um, relationship for her own reasons, which she explained later. But I remember: imagine one day you're dating someone. You're like, "Hey, we'll see you. We'll so and so three days later. We'll go for dinner, etc." Um, and then literally, it's like she disappeared from the fucking planet. It was the weirdest experience, but it, it like when I think back on it now, I kind of laugh, but I remember at the time it was horrible. And do you know, like, have you spoken to them since? Do you know why? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, one, it was certainly one of those relationships. Because it must be on their part. Oh, absolutely. And, she, and And she did say that, but it was certainly also one of those relationships, which was fool me once, shame on um, you. Yeah. Fool me twice, shame on me. Look, it was really a, a fool me three times and then Nat learnt the fucking lesson. <laughs> But, again, we justify for people, you know, they're treating me like that because, um, you know, I just want to be transparent that that did happen to me and it was horrible. Yeah, right. I've had it happen in a long-term relationship. And they they literally ghosted me as I was moving, not country, well, yeah, moving um, to one of the Channel Islands for them. And they literally just ghosted, just didn't turn up at the airport. Wait a minute. Oh, my God. 
Come you were back. you moved country for I someone. I moved country for someone, and they didn't pick you up at the airport. And they just they ghosted. Uh, ghosted. I love that term. They just didn't text back two days before I caught my flight. I'd been with them for four and a half years. <gasps> what? I know. I know. So okay, tell me what happened. Well, I landed there and I was like, well, what the fuck? And like, I rented my house out at home. I'd got a new job there. It all been fine. And long story short, what had happened is he had been um, sleeping with half of this other country that he was living in at the time and just didn't have the balls to be like, hey, by the way, when you come over, this is probably going to come out. So oh. literally just I, I went to a hotel for three months. Whoa, it was okay, the most wait. expensive relationship ever. So what did you do in terms of like, why did you stay? Well, I didn't stay. I, I, I stayed because I'd got a job there and I'd literally oh. moved, moved my like little life and stuff over there. But I didn't stay with him. But there was no official breakup or anything. It's just he went off. So you never saw him again? Yeah, I've seen him twice since around that like... Uh, it was one of the channel houses, a jersey. I've, a jersey. I've seen him. Tw- I saw him twice on the road since, but like literally didn't message nothing until probably about two weeks later. And what and did he say? Even then, it was like I was like, oh, so like all of this stuff has come out. Other women, whatever. Is it true? No. Oh, so he couldn't even like. Face couldn't, up and I'm to like, it. I have pictures. Like these poor girls have sent me pictures. You, you know. Wow. I know. What is the that point of resurfacing? But for but what did that teach you? It taught like me, I'm sure because like obviously the it, way you're retelling the story is you're quite jovial and laughing. Yeah. But at the time, at the time it was horrible. It was I kind of I'm so glad it happened because I think nobody can treat me that bad again. I will not put mm. up for that mm. because there'd been obviously events leading up where I was like, oh, I'll be a bit of a doormat, a bit of a doormat, you know, whatever. Um, but now I look back and I just think I know my worth. I know. Um, yeah, I know what I bring to a relationship and that I think that's why I'm not that fussed on like finding someone now because I'm like, do I, you know, I just, I'm not worried about it. Okay, here's a question. Let's say you met someone yeah. and, and you would have to go through that experience again. You would have to shut up shop. You would have to move countries again. Would you have that kind of um, trauma and you'd be thinking about it and you'd be worried or would you still take that leap? I would I would take the leap every time, but I would love to think that I wouldn't let that happen like you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I wouldn't, because it was quite an unhealthy relationship, and I knew something ha- wasn't right. But I was just turning a blind eye, turning a blind eye. I would love to think that anybody who knew me and met we would be like, I just, you know, you wouldn't do that. Wow. But the, I would always take the jump. Yeah. The way in which people can treat each other sometimes, like that's actually what baffles me. It was me. cruel. Yeah, cruel. Yeah, really, nothing really short nasty. of malicious and cruel. Yeah. Wow. Have you, you've never had anything like, you look terrified and shocked. It's just, it's, it's just a simple conversation. That's what really bothers me about ghosting. It's like, how can you so abruptly kill a dead? But I think that people are afraid. They're afraid of confrontation. Like when someone says to me, I'm afraid of confrontation, I think it's piss weak because I don't, I think people have this idea of confrontation. I don't like fighting with someone. It's like, no, confrontation is being is being for me um, happy enough to be upfront and honest with another person and to deal with the consequence of their reaction. Yeah. 
And I've had a friend who um, was telling me about this Tinder date that she went on and she said the guy texted me the next day this really nice message which was like, hey, look, it was great to meet you. I don't think we'll, we'll be romantically suited, but you're amazing and this and that. And I was like, that happens? That gives me faith in the world. Yeah. That's amazing. Simple. But everyone else, like I've got a lot of um, friends who are dating at the moment and they're just like, oh, she didn't text back. He didn't text back. I'm like, that petrifies me. That absolutely petrifies me. Yeah, I don't like the whole like, I'll wait three days thing. I just think that's bullshit. Like, what a waste of time. Do you think that guys get ghosted more often or girls get ghosted more often? I honestly think guys get ghosted more often. Really? Yeah. But maybe that's just my skewed perspective perspective because i have a lot of guys who are dating right now and they'll be like yeah she didn't text me back you know what it makes me think about is you know those um instagram accounts that have screenshots from like dating dating app conversation thingos and it's always like when i think about the ones where it's like the women are saying like oh you know it was really lovely meeting you but i don't i don't think it's going to work out or something very civil and lovely and the guy's just like well, you're, you're an ugly Aww. whatever anyway. And it's just like, well, well, maybe I sort of understand why women just want to yeah. block, block all. And <laughs> block just... and delete. I'm oh. not after your unsolicited dick pics. I actually didn't even know that people genuinely sent dick pics. Oh, yeah, it happens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I would have no. Do you desire. think it was just this this like joke going around the world? Well, I don't know why someone would do such a thing. Like it's like if it's like if a woman sent me like photos of her boobs, I'd be like, what do you want me to do with that? And you know what? In this day and age, with the internet and so many articles about we do not want your dick pics. Yeah. We continue to be confused and repulsed. No man has an excuse. Mm. They can't say I'm not aware that women don't want dick pics. I don't get it now. I mean, back in the day, I say that 29, back in the day, I get it. And all your friends would do it. And it'd be like, I'll, you know, you'd take a photo of something or you'd be like, oh, I've got this great picture of an outfit or whatever. It's like, give them the phone, but do not scroll. Don't swipe left. Like, do not scroll. <laughs> you might see something. <laughs> but now it does nothing for me. I'm like, dick pics do nothing. Like, let's have a deep conversation instead. Yeah, can you get, can you get vulnerable <laughs> with me? Otherwise, I'm not interested. Oh, wow. That, uh, we are going to touch on that story again. Uh, okay, so going on to a bit of a deeper, to- deeper topic, um, most of us have been through some personal hardships over the years. Uh, when I, what I admire about people is how, is how we seemingly get back up and we move forward. What I don't see or what I'm not exposed to enough, though, are more of the feelings, thoughts, and experiences of going from lost to having actually moved on. It made me realize that life's hardships, losing connections, whether it be friends, lovers, and especially death of loved ones, is something that I think we don't talk about enough. Um, it's assumed that there's this kind of homogenous pattern to grieving. When someone close to us leaves or dies, and yet knowing the vast differences in people's experiences, it's a topic that has no rules, patterns, or path. Equally, when a close friend or relative is very sick, the looming threat of a loss of that connection can cause immense anxiety and pain. But before we dive into this, I just wanted to touch on something that I was speaking about with a friend the other day. Life leaves its mark on all of us. But do you think the way you dealt with hard experiences or lost connections as a young child is similar to the way you deal with them as hardships as an adult? Oh, that's a good question. I think I was... I was brought up and everything was kind of hidden, like sheltered. Like my mom and dad did a really good job of 
painting this pretty picture of everything and so I didn't see like even grandparents funerals and stuff like that we didn't I didn't really see any of it so I would say it's negatively impacted how I deal with stuff now why is that because I think that like I completely believe that death is a part of life and it's something we should speak more about and I've just finished my yoga training and part of it like a big part of it the conversation around the philosophy is that death is something that's completely normal we should speak about and you know you go out and you're like it could be my last day I could die tomorrow but no actually it could be and it's just a normal part of life and I think that it should be something that we um are more vulnerable about and more kind of spoken about in society rather than just pretending it doesn't happen so when you say though that it's negatively impacted yeah what is it that springs to mind like I think now of um you know if if someone was to pass away now I just think I just wish I had the uh, honesty that I have now as a child to, you know, if I knew that my grandparents were ill or something like that, then I would, I would treasure that so much more. Like I remember my, um, like my dad has been quite seriously ill and I remember being pulled out of school to go and see him in hospital, but I hadn't been told at the time that like the doctor said he's got 24 hours to live and like bless my mom and dad for trying to not upset the family. They'd been like, are oh, you just, you know, you're going to go and see your dad now and just, you know, just he's in hospital. He's not very well. You're going to go and see him. And I just remember thinking, fuck, like I meant to go to this after school. I meant to go see my boyfriend whatever and I look back at that now with so much guilt even though it's not my fault with so much guilt because I'm just like if I'd have known then one it wouldn't scare me as much now but two you kind of you learn to live with that or you learn to deal with death and loss growing up as opposed to you know at a later age so what scares you specifically losing someone and not knowing not knowing that um not having your final chance to say goodbye really if you know that someone's going to going to pass. Before I add anything to that, do you have anything to? Um, you know, it's really odd for me was that growing up, I had a lot of very close friends who lost a parent to cancer. So the first time I really understood death was when my best friend, this is when I was very young um, in primary school, her dad got lung cancer. And I didn't really, I was so young that I didn't really understand what cancer was. Um, And all I knew was that he was mowing the lawn one day and he started coughing up blood. And then not that much long after he passed away. And I remember um, being at the funeral and seeing, seeing his body and just thinking, is this what a dead person looks like? And just being really, just having this really weird experience of, you know, seeing death for the first time but unfortunately I would have a lot of friends in my lifetime I remember in 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 the space of high school I had um, a lot of close friends who lost their mothers to bowel cancer and so seeing my friends dealing with having you know having a parent who's who has cancer and um, suddenly becoming a carer in a way to their mom um, especially in the final stages and then losing them and I remember one time um, in high school, I, I I was very close friends with this girl who lost her dad to bowel cancer, and I remember when he finally passed away, she um, she actually came to school, and 
but she just broke down at one point and she was crying and she was crying so hard she couldn't catch her breath and she had snot running down her face and I just remember think panicking thinking how do I how do I make her feel better or you know how do I how do I help her how do I fix this but also thinking how is she ever gonna be the same again just looking at how how destroyed she was I was thinking how could she possibly recover from this and and be the person that I recognize ever again and then what I saw was that over the you know the course of time um she does recover and and then I remember having this conversation about like two, three years after her um, dad's death. And I said, oh, it's, it's um, Father's Day. It was, her, it was her dad's birthday or something. And I said, are you going to go visit your dad um, at his grave? And she's like, actually, we haven't done that in a while. We probably should. And I just remember being really struck with this, the kind of not flippancy, but sort of because I just had these really clear visions of her coming to school that day and just how distraught she was and like, you know, and I'm just thinking... I was so worried and and if anything, it really taught me that we are quite resilient and that we will somehow get to a point where we just sort of get on with our lives. It's not because we are able to forget them, but it's just what happens. It's death happens and you just move on. Um, I had a previous guest share how her son got terminally ill and for two years he fortunately survived. But for two years she had to contemplate day in and day out the the sheer fear of losing him at any moment. Would you rather know that the person you love the most and think of whomever for you it will be, um, know that they're going to die or to have them taken from you quickly? Because she said, she goes, if you were to lose a child and it happens, you kind of have to deal with it. But to go through the um, the fear of it daily was just excruciating. Yeah, I oh, I think rather happen. Yeah, happen happen straight away. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've and I've you know my my grandmother passed away recently, just like a couple of months ago. And she passed away after being bedridden for a really long time, like many, many years too long. And I remember when she first, so she had a stroke and um, initially she couldn't move half of her body and then she got really sick and after she came out of the hospital, she was put on a feeding tube because she couldn't chew or swallow anymore. And, you know, the nurses there were telling us, you know, normally at that age after having a stroke if they're put on feeding tube they normally deteriorate very quickly so we were all very prepared um we were definitely not prepared for how many years she would be bedridden and I remember just thinking when we went back for the funeral feeling really distraught and obviously I was I was grieving but at the same time a sense of relief because Mm. the last two times that I went to see her I couldn't stand to see her that way. And I'm thinking how how many years more years does she have to just lie there and just just exist that. this way, not even being able to chew her own food. And I just thought, you know, it's such a relief. And I hope, you know, my mum spared that because when I think about all the women on my mum's side of the family have gone down from stroke. So now when I think about my mum and how she's ageing, and I just think I, I just really want her to be spared from that, that if she goes down and, you know, um, then I hope it happens really quickly yeah, for her. suffering, yeah. Considering you both have 
I guess, unique situations when it comes to both of your parents. Like with yourself, with your dad, he ha- he's still alive, correct? He's still alive, yeah. <clears throat> and then with your mum and having that fear, do you have those conversations with them? No. And he actually had a stroke a couple of days ago <gasps> and it's his like fourth or fifth one. Which is, oh. cra- I know, which is crazy. And he's not being impaired from it, like, physically. Mentally, cha- like, there's definitely been some changes in behaviourally. But there's, I don't have any conversations. Why? I just... You're too afraid or he doesn't open up? Probably on both, on both ends. I think we were brought up, and I look back on my upbringing and think I was so lucky, like I really was. But we were never brought up where you speak about feelings. Like, you don't speak about feelings. I, I've never seen my parents cry. Ever? Ne- I've seen my mom cry once and that was a horrific scenario I that gives me nightmares now. But I've, ne- I've never seen them cry even when their own parents passed. Wow. Yeah. wow. Ne- I never saw them cry. I'm sure they did and I'm sure they did grieve. But it was always very, you know, you're fine, you're fine, don't cry. And I think I've kind of when I've been growing up, if there's ever been a scenario where I'm like, oh my God, I feel overcome with emotion in your head. It's like, don't cry, don't cry, like, don't cry, don't be weak. Don't. So you've taken on that. Yeah, I've taken on it, even though I didn't recognize I had until like early 20s. And I'm like, shit, it's there. Do you like <laughs> that or do you want it to, do you want to be more expressive? Yeah, I think I've worked through it now. I mean, I it's still there, but, um, but I... I don't like, I would not like to think that if I wanted to cry or express myself, I wouldn't be able to. Like, I feel like I can now, but it's taken a lot of work and it's probably still not there, you know? Interesting. It's all taught, it's all lessons that we're, or all things that we're taught. It's not. Do you it, think it's been innate. damaging? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, a hundred percent. And not intentionally damaging at all, but definitely damaging. Yeah. Do you have a strong connection to your parents? I think they're incredible humans, but I would like I would never phone either of them up and be like, oh, I'm heartbroken. Like when the whole ghosting thing happened, I was like, I didn't tell my parents for I didn't tell my mum for probably four days. I was like, I can't not tell her this now, you know, but I would never call her up and be like, oh, I've got this problem. What do you think? It's not like a friendship relationship. Like she's the most incredible human and I know she loves me and I love her. But like we, we don't even say that when we sign off from the phone or in messages or whatever. Like I see my friends being like, love you, mom. I'm like, I don't think I've ever said that to my mom when I'm like, you know, I'm about to jump on a plane to the other side of the world. And I don't think I've ever been like, love you. Bye. Wow. I know. it's, And I thought that was normal. Right. Okay. There's so much here to unpack. Um, <laughs> I'm curious to know because you, as a, as a friend that I've experienced, you're so loving, generous, kind, and warm that when you're with them, do you feel like you are your actual self? When I'm with my parents? Yeah. Um, I mean, thank you for that, but, um, yeah, when I, do I think I'm my actual self? Yes, to an extent. But like I would never, like I would sit and have a deep conversation around life and the meaning of it and whatever with you or my other friends, but not, probably not with them. No. It's so interesting. I think they just look at me like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> See, I have two parents and they are literally the polar opposites when it comes to yeah. the expression of feelings. And I've certainly taken things from both of them 
uh, some good, some bad. Depends on the way you look at it. Yeah. But I certainly can see the habits that I'm like, oh, look at me and how I'm responding to this situation. That's very much dad. Yeah. Or look at me and how I'm responding to this situation. Oh, I think mom does that. And it is funny when you think about it. It actually is, I think, part of the aspect that terrifies me about having kids because you kind of know at the end of the day you're going to end up doing something. And not I they, know. And not to say that it fucks them up. That's not what I mean. I think we're all here to learn and grow through some form of whatever it is and that that's a part of it. But it is something that like when you become aware, you're then like, oh my God, would I be hyper aware? And I do believe also that everyone's doing the best that they can with Absolutely. what they know. Absolutely. And I think when I started to learn that, I started to not judge my parents or expect more from them than I was getting. Mm. I think that was a huge, a huge like, oh, okay. And then, and then also my relationship with them changed. I love that perspective. I just think it's, that's exactly how I feel. And um, I just feel so grateful. And like, I look at all the stuff that they've done and come through and battled. And I just think I have so much admiration for them. That's why I don't have any, um, you know, negative view on how I was brought up. It wasn't the right way. But likewise with having kids, I'm like, you're going to fuck them up. Like initially you're going to, you're going to, you can't bubble wrap them and then send them off to school and whatever. Yeah. And it's like, and you want to have an amazing, like if you had children, you'd want to have this amazing connection. And then at the same time, you're like, oh, but if I do this, they might be like that. And there's, you just never know. And that actually is something I find really interesting about life and relationships in general. The idea that like, you just never actually know. Yeah. And likewise, like being best friends with your child sounds amazing, but I wouldn't want my child telling me at 14 what she's going to go out doing if it's the same stuff that I was going out doing, you know? Yeah. yeah, Okay. You're like, I'd rather just have like a... (laughs) I'd rather not know. (laughs) Gotcha. Do you think there's a difference in how men and women are expected to respond to illness or death of a loved one than how women are? Or Or what has kind of, I guess where women may have permission that men, you know, for example, men must be strong, don't cry and all the rest of that. Whereas women, it's okay to look like a fragile dove. I would hope that stigma's fading. I definitely think I've noticed it fading within friendship groups and workplaces. Um, but yeah, it's, there's still a hangover from from what society used to be like, whereas it's okay for the women to, uh, you know, be emotional to that and, and not so much for the men. But I would like to think that's changing. Especially at a funeral, you would hope. If you can't express emotions at a funeral when you've lost somebody forever, that's just awful. But See, I think I'm quite expressive, but at a funeral is I try not to weep. You try not to. I'm probably the same, but I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know. I think that I'm happy to be really vulnerable and open, but I think I've learned as I've gotten older... I'm happy to do it to those who won't ever, and not to say that at a funeral it's used back upon you, but I'm really happy to be very transparent with the, you know, the, the relationships in my life. But I think as I've gotten older, it's just kind of like, I won't just be transparent and vulnerable to the depths that I happily can be with everyone. And that's something that I've learned because sometimes yeah. not everyone has your best interest at heart. Yeah. And so I think when it comes to being at a funeral, like there's just the times where I, you know, for example, if someone were to die, I would be very cathartic and expressing everything with Lisa, but perhaps not on at a funeral. I don't know. I just maybe expectations again. Don't mm. know. Yeah. I like that. I, I, I would feel like I would be the same, but I don't know why. And I also think that with death, there should be a celebration of life as well. I mean, circumstances pending, it can be, a, you know, it can be a whole range of different things, but yeah. 
Well, in some cultures it is, isn't it? Yeah. Like funerals are party, basically. And I can't, yeah, I can't remember either. I was reading about it, but I remember the funerals are like a celebration of life and death is spoken about from when you're a child and it's a normal thing. I remember thinking like, fuck, what a beautiful way to be brought up. And you just, every day you just, uh, you know, you treat people as if they're, no one's immortal. And like now with my friendship, with my friends, I'll be like, love you. Like I'll, I'll drop the L bomb all the time and it freaks guys out, especially guy friends. Really? I'm like, you I have say, to say it back. I say it to everyone because I always would want, if anything were to happen, it'd be the last thing you heard from me. Yeah, exactly. So, so cool. Yeah. But I do. I do it to both of you. That's why I'm always saying it. I'm like, haven't known you guys that long, but I'm like, I feel this, so I will express it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the uh, heading towards the back end, I just wanted to know, did you find after a certain amount of time when you have gone through loss hardship that there's kind of like, there's a time period and window that people will ask if you're okay. And then there's like this moment where everyone's like, oh fuck, you're still not over it. Are you okay? And then there's a distance created. Do you know what I mean? Like I think mourning has its own trajectory depending upon the loss, how it mm. happened, and also your own personal circumstances. But, I mean, for example, with your grandmother, there's a certain time where everyone knew that she had passed and it's, are you okay? Are you okay? And then it's kind of like after two weeks, you should be okay. Well, I don't know if it's because I was sort of, because of the circumstances of her having suffered for a really long time. And I think when I came back to Sydney, um, I was relatively okay. I was relieved. So because it had gone on so long and in a way I was really relieved that she had finally passed when people asked, how are you? How's your mom? And whatever, I'd say we're fine. And actually I'm a bit relieved. I was a bit relieved. So that sort of changed that dynamic. So people didn't keep asking me, are you okay? Are you okay? Because I was okay. Okay. And then I guess the experiences that you've had with your dad, whether or not you've communicated them with others, did, for those, if you did, did they ask you if you're okay? Did they not know how to bring it up? Did they not know how to approach the subject? Yeah, I'd say it's not something I speak about widely to, like, to just everyone, but it's something I'm relatively open about. And yeah, I think there's always that kind of eggshell moment of like, how do I speak about, you know, I can feel people kind of being like, oh, okay, is this awkward? I'm like, no, I'm cool. I can speak about it. I'm mm. fine. And they're like, oh, okay. Cool. Like, are you, are you all right? Kind of thing. But um, I probably haven't had much that much experience um, with personal loss, like, um, you know, death as such as to say, yeah. See, as I'm getting older and I've only ever experienced my grandparents passing like two or two, three or four now, no, two or four, two or four. Um, <laughs> I'm like, let me count that. Um, I'm getting terrified because I know it's imminent. It's imminent. And it ter- it really scares me. Like it, it, and because there's a certain people in my life who can hear me in my voice. And it's like, who will it be? And how will I react? And how will I be okay? Yeah. And it's a terrifying thing. It's scary. And it's, you know, you you look around the world and you see these things happening every single day and it will happen. Like it happens to people when you don't even mm. expect it as well as the ones you do, Yeah, you know? And it's, I think there's, you mentioned it earlier, um, you will, that humans are so resilient and you know, you will always be okay. You will always make it through the other side, but it's that fear of the unknown. Yeah. It's that you still yes. want them there. Yeah. Yeah. Or, Cause I think death's a funny thing in the fact that, it's kind of like, it's what happens. It, like, we're all going to go through it. And really, it's not the person that dies that misses out. It's you who's still here remembering them. Yeah. And that's kind of the catch-22. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you both so much for being here. And Thank before you. I finish my final question, I just wanted to say that to you both. Um, so you're standing in front of a room of 10,000 women and you're able to offer one piece of advice. What would you say? I would say, especially to the people who are terrified of going out there because they're petrified of what people might think of them, don't be the just people. They've got their own problems. They've got their own insecurities. They're just people. Now, I would say something along the lines of like help other people, not yourself. You know, focus on other people, not yourself. You were like, that sounds pretty good. I'm yeah, I'm sure there's some like quote from Gandhi that I'm trying to weave in there. <laughs> but no, I think the idea about living in service of others is that if you focus outwardly, you genuine, you generally actually start to feel good yourself. Yeah, it's but, life is not about yeah, you; it's about yeah. the people who you connect with. Yeah, but not to, not to the disservice of yourself. Yeah. So just clarifying that. But yes, thank you both so much for being here. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Modern Women. If this content is delivering value to you, it would be so helpful and appreciated if you head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Stitcher and rate and review us as that helps us build this incredible community. And ultimately, that is what this is all about. Building this community as big as we can to help as many women as possible and all of your ratings and reviews truly help with that. And before I go, a shout out to Chunky Love for the original music and to Mr. Darren Lake over at Podpace for helping me produce this show for all of you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.